Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we share our weekly messages, and from time to time, you'll see some other things as well. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can contact us, visit bcwc.org. I want to say good morning again, and good morning to those watching online as well. Thank you for engaging in worship this morning. We're continuing today our series on the book of Galatians. And so to, to know about some of the history, the, the context of the book of Galatians, this is a bustling Roman area, a place uh, obsessed with status and success. And Paul has begun some churches in this region, and he has left to do other things and do other missionary work. And in his absence, some other teachers have come in and said to these young churches that if you are really going to be Christians, you're going to need to adjust some of your behavior. They're saying you actually need to do all of these cultural markers of the Jewish faith as well. Oh, and you must not associate with anybody who doesn't. Shun anybody who doesn't follow through on the whole checklist. And so Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia and he's a little frustrated because he wants to remind them that they're already part of the family of God because of faith not because of what they do or what cultural markers they embrace. That our status has nothing to do with the rituals we observe or how carefully we cultivate an image or brand or a perfect narrative about our lives. No, we're part of the family of God because Christ is faithful. Christ went to the cross for us, defeated death, and welcomes us into the family of of God, all people are welcome. We have looked at this book so far and thought among the, along the lines of, of, do you want to be free? The first week we talked about the freedom that we have in Christ and it was an invitation to open the table to all. Last week, we talked about opening our eyes and our ears to see how the Spirit has already come, how God is already at work. We are already welcome. We are already free. And today, we're joining in with churches all over our county to be on the same theme. We've come this far by faith. It's a reflection on what it means to be one united people. Despite the painful history that has scarred our nation and our lives, Despite history and present realities of injustice and prejudice, we are one family as Christians. We've become one because of our faith. This guiding quotation for our study of Galatians comes from the late Rachel Held Evans, who says, This is what God's kingdom is like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table, not because they are rich or worthy or good, but because they're hungry because they said yes, and there is always room for more. So if we are all one family, and if we don't need to embrace all of these former cultural markers of things like circumcision or temple worship or these codes or rules of the Old Testament law about who is clean or unclean, the question arises, well then what was the point of the law anyway? 
What do we do with the first five books of the Old Testament and the Torah and all these explanations of law? Paul says, good question. We will address it today in Galatians 3, 19. And we'll go 19 through 26 to start. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring would come. And here Paul is referring to Abraham's offspring one day bringing a blessing to all people, in this case specifically Jesus, until Jesus would come to whom the promise had been made and it was ordained through angels by a mediator. Again, now talking about the law, these Old Testament law written down by human hands Verse 20, now a mediator involves more than one party, but God is one. So is the law then opposed to the promise of God? Certainly not. If a law had been given that could make alive, then righteousness would indeed come through the law. But Scripture has imprisoned all things under the power of sin, so that what was promised through faith of Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before this faith came, and again Paul's talking about Jesus, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be reckoned as righteous by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Believe it or not, this is the least dense part of Galatians chapter 3. You might be saying, what are you doing? Paul, what do I do with this? What does this mean? Well, we're going to break it down a little bit, work through it, and see how it can be so helpful for us today. Paul is writing about this law, these commands that the other teachers are saying they must follow to the letter. Things about how you would associate with others who was welcome to eat at your dinner table, if they might make you clean or unclean. All of these things. And he's saying, well, yes, these things were valuable. They're helpful. It is a vision. The people came out of slavery in the Exodus account and they were given the law so that they might be different than the world around them. It was a vision for who God said they were supposed to be. And with it, there are restrictions and guidelines to help them from hurting each other. (laughs) But there's been a problem. The problem is a problem that we all have called the human condition, that though we are created in the image of God, we have dignity and value, we still stumble right? We can't live up to this vision of who God has made us to be. We continue to harm others and ourselves. And so Paul says the law then shows us these failures, reveals to us transgressions, shows us how we have not quite lived up to who we could be. But we read that language. Scripture has imprisoned all things under the power of sin, and it's tough for us to understand, to wrap our minds around. What is that saying? Does that mean 
that Scripture is declaring that we are in bondage or something. No, Paul wants us to understand that Scripture is just revealing the problem of humanity that already existed. Jerome, the Christian leader who wrote in the late 300s and early 400s, said, we should not surmise that Scripture is the author of sin, because it states the whole world is prisoner of sin. It conveys the commandments prescribed by the law and condemns sin, but it's not the cause of sin any more than a judge is the author of the crime for the subduing malefactors or the criminal. The judge imprisons them by his legal authority, pronounces them to be dangerous, but leaves open the option for showing mercy and absolving the guilty from their initial punishment if he so desires. So the law simply points out reality and acts as a guardrail as these people are moving from being enslaved towards their future one day when they would bless all nations. Paul says the law is our disciplinarian. And I don't know what you imagine in your head when you hear disciplinarian. I imagine there's some pictures that come to mind. It's an interesting word, and it's an interesting translation of this word. It's a hard word to translate. It's, the original word is not used very often. It's pedagogon, which is a fun word to say if you want to turn to somebody and say pedagogon, pedagogon, anybody? If you're a teacher, you may recognize there's some relation here to pedagogy or teaching. It has a very specific definition that worked in the ancient world. It's not quite like disciplinarian in our mind. Usually, this would have been a servant who would have been employed to care for young children while their primary guardians were away. Perhaps this person would be employed to help a young person on a journey to make sure everybody stayed safe, stayed alive, stayed on track, sort of like a field trip supervisor. Anybody ever supervised a field trip before? God bless you. This person would just help make sure that the children made it from point A to point B. In fact, one well-renowned biblical scholar actually translates this word as babysitter, and I find that so helpful. Paul is saying that back in the days of Abraham, God had a vision for a family. And said there would be a family as numerous as the stars that would bless the whole world. Hundreds of years later, the law was given to help these people persevere in challenging times. But now, Christ has come and opened his arms to welcome all to the family. So what is the point of the law to help? to guide, to help us get from the vision to the family actualized in Christ. When I was 17, my dad was deployed to Iraq, and we were living in Germany on a military base. My little brother was five years old, and my mom needed me to go back to the United States so that I could get my driver's license so that I could be more helpful. So. It was time for me to go um, back and get my Pennsylvania driver's license, so she sent me, but she could not come. She had a five-year-old, and so she sent me on the plane by myself across the Atlantic. 
Now, I had flown tons of times as a military kid. I was not concerned at all. I was excited to go alone. It seemed really fun. But my mom was concerned, rightfully, because I would be crossing the oceans and going through a layover and going through customs as a minor. Now, as an adult, I think, oh yeah, it was right for her to be concerned. At the time, I was like, this is fine. So what happened was she uh, told the airline that I needed to be registered as an unaccompanied minor. So what happens is when you're an unaccompanied minor on a flight, that means someone is assigned to look after you, to be your babysitter. We got to the gate, and I was not excited about it, and then I became less excited about it when they gave me the bracelet that I had to wear that was bright red with paw prints on it. I had already become six foot five. I looked ridiculous. She said, don't worry, you won't know any of these people. You'll never see any of these people again. They put me on one of those little carts to drive me to the gate, which now, man, I would love to just get around the line. But at the time, I was embarrassed only to then see one of my football teammates walk up to get into security. It was rough. The flight attendants watched out for me when I had my layover in the Philly airport. I just had to sit in this area with a playground and ask permission to go to the bathroom. It was frustrating. But they made sure that I'd survive the trip, didn't wander off, didn't get detained by customs. They kept track of my identifying documents. Many times that I've flown since then, I've lost things like glasses or wallets or passports. That time, I didn't lose a thing. Paul is saying when the people of God received the law, Moses mediating it to them, it was a law to show them where they're going, who they can be, who they should be, a law to keep them on track to keep them from disappearing when outside groups tried to take them over or push them out. The law was to accompany them on their journey as God's people. As they would go to be a people that would bless the whole world, eventually producing the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would welcome all people to the family. It gave them a vision of how to live and a vision for how easy it is to fall short. It gave them guardrails. So though they were inclined to harm one another like we are, it helped minimize the harm. We see some of this reasoning appearing as well in the teaching of Jesus. At one point, Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus as they did. They said, well, isn't it lawful to get a divorce for any reason whatsoever? It was common then for men to simply say, just because they felt like it, sorry, divorce time, and they would then leave a woman in terrible economic and social shape in this world. Jesus, as he's teaching, says, actually, no, the intention of marriage is a commitment for always. Now, yes, that commitment can be broken in many ways, and Jesus gives us some circumstances where it must be, But the Pharisees say, wait, doesn't the law say we can divorce for whatever reason as long as we have a certificate? And in Matthew 19, 7 and 8, why then, the Pharisees asked, didn't Moses command that a man may give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? But Jesus replied, yes, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. See, Jesus is saying, 
you needed this guardrail of the certificate. Because at least that certificate for that woman would give her some sense of status and protection and documentation in the world. It would minimize the harm that you were doing. But that was not the intent. Jesus wouldn't have the same line of thinking when he says, you've heard an eye for an eye. If someone takes your eye out, take their eye out back. That was designed to keep people from saying, you took my eye, I'll take your head. But Jesus said, I say turn your cheek. If someone strikes your cheek, give them the other. Biblical scholar Esau Macaulay writes, Jesus' argument here suggests that the norms for Christian ethics are not the passages that are allowances for human sin, like Moses' divorce laws. And then I want to highlight this part. What matters is what we were made to be. Jesus shows that not every passage of the Torah presents the ideal for human interaction. Instead, some passages accept the world as broken and attempt to limit the damage that we do to one another. This means that when we look at passages in the Old Testament, we have to ask ourselves about their purpose. Do they present a picture of what God wanted us to be? Or do they seek to limit the damage arising from a broken world? This is so helpful for us as we approach a complicated text with so many challenges and layers of culture. What do we do with all of these things? Do they present a picture of what God wanted us to be? Or did they seek to limit damage from a broken world? What matters is what we were made to be. Macaulay continues, Paul speaks in a similar way when he says that the law was instituted because of sin and functioned as our guardian or babysitter until the coming of Christ. This does not mean that the law is bad. It doesn't dismiss the formative role that the law played on Christian ethics, but it does mean that sometimes the law limits damage to what we do to one another. That's why the law is there, to give a vision and a predict, protect, protection. The law is good, it's helpful, it's insightful. But Paul wants us to remember that the law doesn't make us God's family. No law could. God makes us God's family. That being part of God's family is what we were made to be. And when God spoke to Abraham hundreds of years before that law was given, he created that family. And then through the faithfulness of God in flesh, Jesus Christ opened his arms wide on a cross and conquered death and division once and for all. That family became real. And now we've come this way. We've come this far by faith. When Pastor Zach and I planned this series months ago, I did not realize that we'd be asked to join in with other churches in our community on this theme in fact, this sermon was actually supposed to happen next week, but then with the conference that had to happen, things had to get moved around, and so now I preach it today on the eve of Juneteenth, that federal holiday that remembers the end of slavery, remembers when the Union Army finally got to Galveston, Texas, two and a half years after that Emancipation Proclamation, when 6,000 Union soldiers came to a town of 10,000. 4,000 of those soldiers were black, and they brought good news. 
that there was freedom for the enslaved. A fear had snuck into the church of Galatia. They were afraid of being associated with people who were not like them. They were afraid that as these Gentiles were elevated, they themselves might lose status. They were afraid. It's the same fear and distortion that leads people to dehumanize others today, that led people to go to church on Sunday and then oppress and enslave people made in the image of God as soon as they got home. We dehumanize when we're afraid. We want to protect our status. We try to keep people out. There's a lie. A lie that exists that says only so many people can be free. (laughs) That if other people became free, maybe I would be less free. And it is a lie. A tragedy that still exists, persists, that happened in the lives of those white supremacist Christians in the days of slavery, the violent days of Jim Crow after, and still rears its head today. It's alive. Paul's opponents were afraid that if these people didn't fit in and stick to their rules, it would cause them some trouble, might cost them some power, might cost them some freedom. And so they went to these lengths to try to rein them in. But the people... (laughs) are already free. I want you to hear some of what slaveholding Christians did to keep out the enslaved and hold on to their power. This is a clip from the documentary about Juneteenth that we screened here on Friday night, if you'll take a look. What's the Slave Bible? The Slave Bible is a Bible created uh, by white supremacists that took out all the liberation passages and passages that point to liberation and freedom and gave it to the slaves as it means to say, hey, this is what scripture says to further cause them to be oppressed. So you're saying they took a Bible and then cut some stuff out? Yes. Like, was that just a few verses here or there? No, it was a lot of the scripture. Uh, The Exodus account was removed Mm -hmm. because you got to think about when Nat Turner read scripture, it caused a revolt. Like, Mm -hmm. he was like, no, like reading scripture from cover to cover shows me a different version of God than Mm -hmm. the the one you're trying to push down my throat. They didn't want them to know that they were also created in the image of God because if they were also created in the image of God, then they couldn't treat them the way they treated them. Let me read for you one of the passages that was cut out of that slave Bible. This is Paul's key idea for all of the letter to Galatians. This is Galatians 3, 27 through 29. As many of you were baptized into Christ, you have clothed yourself with Christ. There's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. You are heirs according to the promise. So this Sunday, we stand on the eve of Juneteenth we remember and we lament. And may we remember how we have been set free. How we have been made to be united together as one family, one body. All over the globe, people of different races and genders and sexual identities and economic statuses 
we read this passage on the Sunday after the largest Protestant denomination in the United States, another Baptist denomination, the Southern Baptists, voted to reject any church that gives the title pastor to a woman, further pushing away people and rejecting the call of God on so many. We read this passage. And we remember that one of Paul's favorite metaphors for the church was a body. We are a body, all different parts, but one. And it is a lie to believe that there is only so much freedom to go around. In fact, when any of us are not free, the whole body is then put in chains. None of us are free until we're all free. I want to close with a story about a castle. My former professor and former Southern Baptist, Joel Gregory, preached to the Southern Baptist Convention in the 1980s, warning them of what might happen. I want to tell you the story he told about one of the great castles in Ireland. It was the ancient home of the Castlereagh family. It was one of the most princely residences on the Emerald Isle. But the ancient home had fallen into decay. It was no longer inhabited. And what happened was what usually happens when there is this castle that nobody's in. When people wanted to repair a road or build a chimney or fix their barns, they would scavenge stone from that fine castle. The stones were already beautifully cut. They were finished. And they were available without digging or carrying for miles. Well, one day, the lord of that castle visited. He was the surviving descendant and was the heir. And when he saw the state of that castle... He determined to end immediately what was going on. He had to stop the robbery of the stones because the ruin itself reflected that or earlier glory of his family. It was one of the treasures of Ireland, so he sent for one of his servants and gave orders that the castle would be enclosed with a six-foot wall. And this wall would keep out trespassers. There would be no gaps. And then he went on his way. Three or four years later, the Lord came back to the castle and he was astonished because there was that wall. It was beautiful. There were no gaps and the castle had disappeared <laughs> like some great magician had come and made it evaporate. And so he went to his servant and said, why didn't you listen to my command? The servant said, I did. Look at the wall. No one's been over it. But where's the castle? The servant said, the castle? Well, I built a wall with it. What's the use of me going miles and to find these materials when the finest stones were right there beside me? These opponents of Paul to the Galatians, were so worried about keeping people out, they were destroying a community. Will we build a community or a wall? Will we see who we are made to be? And will we strive for it? Even fight for it? Love fiercely and remember that we are all one family. May it be. Let us pray. God, I thank you for this opportunity to worship and reflect. I thank you for the message to the Galatians. 
And I thank You for Your Word that is so powerful, that is so challenging. People have had to cut it apart to keep people down. Lord, may You use us to build Your community right here, a community where all are welcome to the table, a community of freedom. And may we, as people who are free, continue the work of advocating for the freedom of all so we all may celebrate the freedom that comes from You. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or are looking for ways that you can support God's work at this church, visit bcwc.org. And as you go, through whatever your day may throw at you, I want to share this blessing with you. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness, protect you in the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go and be the church.